Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. And TV Editor Liz Shannon Miller. Hello. Today, we will be talking about WandaVision. Uh, The season of WandaVision wrapped up last Friday. Uh, We are going to be going full into spoilers. So if you have not finished WandaVision yet, stop listening. We don't want to spoil anything for you, but there's a lot to talk about. And we're just going to start- I'm very confused. I thought this was a Harry and Meghan episode. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I have have a quick, I I mean, legitimately, I have a question. Like, do we think there's anyone with a Disney Plus subscription who did not watch WandaVision last Friday? Like, I feel like that. I feel like if you're, if the only people I can think of in my life who did not watch WandaVision are the people who did not, do not subscribe to Disney Plus flat out. Yeah, yeah I guess I, if you're like a family and you only subscribe to it to watch Disney movies, maybe. But. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's the scenario. It's, it's possible. I mean, even, I mean, my brother is not like a Marvel guy, but even he's watching WandaVision. So, yeah. And I mean, it's, I guess like it helps that the commitments, like it's a half hour, it, it, a theoretical half hour versus it versus like a full hour. Maybe that's a factor that helps people connect with it. Like, even if you're, even if you're a parent and you're only subscribing for Disney movies, like, you know, there's that 10, 10 to ten thirty window after the kids go to bed where you could squeeze in an episode. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's not a show that's like, it's also, I mean, it's a show that's dealing with grief, but I wouldn't qualify WandaVision as a heavy show. Right. Like it still has jokes. It's still, it's in the Marvel universe. It, it goes down pretty easily. It's not a heavy lift. Ralph Boner. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> but uh, so let's start off though, by asking, you know, what, you know, what did you guys feel about WandaVision? How did you feel once the show had its season finale? What were your thoughts on it? Liz, let's start with you. Okay. Um, you know, it's been one, I, I'm glad that when, you know, my official beat on this was writing recaps as opposed to reviews, because uh, day of, I was still really kind of processing how I felt about the finale. And so I just recapping it was like about what I could handle at that point. Like I wasn't ready to really have a big critical reaction to it. I thought it got me emotionally uh, in a way that I will say episode eight did not. Uh, episode eight I liked but I felt like it was too it was honestly too much of a rehash of things I already knew or things that had come before for me to feel really emotionally engaged with it and uh, but yeah episode nine got me I cried my ass off Uh, I I feel like the I feel like the you know we will surely talk about very the various criticisms of it and I think the one that has stuck with me in a way where I kind I do feel like I agree is the idea that Wanda didn't there wasn't enough atonement for what Wanda did to the people of Westview, and that the show tried to figure out a way to kind of touch on it without getting too seriously into it, but didn't quite hit the mark. But beyond that, I thought it was a great ending. There's a part of me that definitely wishes. We'd had yet another, we'd had one last sitcom homage, one last wacky theme song from the Lopez's. But I I think it, as far as endings go for a miniseries like this, I think it was pretty top notch. And Adam, what about you? I mean, John Krasinski wasn't there, so I really got <laughs> super mad. <laughs> this thing that was never promised to me. Um, as, as wonderfully um, elaborated yeah, on in, in that I, satirical editorial. 
Yeah, Matt, I've been watching the, I have a Twitter search set up for uh, Collider plus WandaVision, uh, which lets me see everything that people tweet about uh, our coverage of the show. And the I've been really happy that only a few idiots didn't get that you were making sarcastic. <laughs> I think there, there were a few people who were like, yeah, this guy's right. Uh, but in general, I was, you, you wrote an amazing piece. And if, you, if you're listening to this and you didn't read it, I'm, I'm actually genuinely surprised because a lot of people read that this weekend, but it's a great article and you should all check it out. Well, sure. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, but I... You know, I liked it. I it, This is a show that I've really been enjoying week to week. Um, the finale emotionally, I thought was really satisfying. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's there's all this like finger wagging of like, oh, you silly people pretending that Marvel would ever make anything about anything. But I thought it was really a, a genuinely touching um, exploration of grief and how grief manifests in your life and how you try and grapple with that. Um, and not even just grief, but sadness and, and depression. I thought that was really interesting. I, you know, I, I will allow the arguments that the show lets Wanda off the hook a little too easily in terms of how abusive she was uh, to all those people in the town. Um, you know, they, uh, they obviously make some nods to uh, uh, showing those people's pain, but largely it's, you know, kind of like, well, she didn't mean it and no harm, no foul, really. Um, I mean, it's really hard to come back from watching the mom from that 70s show beg for death. Like, <laughs> yes. don't, yeah. you know, it's really hard to kind of put a rosy angle on that. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, the, the, the Wanda and Vision stuff is the heart of the show for me. And, and that's where the finale delivered the best, I thought. And oh, yeah. And so that's where my satisfaction comes from. Because honestly, like when it got all smashy, smashy, I, I my interest waned quite, quite significantly, as it tends to do in, in MCU movies when they do get smashy, smashy. Um, save for a few, you know, there are certainly inspired action sequences in Marvel movies, but you get to kind of an inevitable conclusion that you knew it was going to all along. Um, and honestly, my, my brain was just, I was thinking a lot about the fact that it was, this episode was shot during COVID and how I was, it, it was very clear to me that Catherine Hahn was not on set. <laughs> like they, I don't know if they shot her stuff in LA. Cause I know they finished production in Atlanta and the first episode they came back and shot during COVID, I think was the modern family episode. And that was an easy one to do because there was no one around because Wanda was trapped in the house. Um, and I, I, you know, I think the, the penultimate episode, they, they pulled it off pretty well with some kind of social distancing and stuff, but I don't know. It was a little distracting to me that Catherine Hahn was just like never in frame with anyone else, mm -hmm. even like in her, in her final moments, they keep her kneeling on the ground. So as not to rely on like a, an Elizabeth Olsen stand in to, to do, do that over the shoulder. Um, I don't know that it, this is entirely off topic, but just something that I started thinking about as they were shooting laser beams at each other in the sky. No, I mean, if we're talking about whether or not we enjoyed the episode that we, all the stuff you're talking about is totally a legit, a legit consideration. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm sort of, I'm, I, you know, coming off the finale, I really liked it. And I do, I continue to think that it hit the mark that it was going for, which is it hit the emotional beats, especially between Wanda and Vision and and their kids. And I think, you know, on that wavelength, which is what the film, what, not the film, the TV show was going for, I think it succeeded. I will say like, yes, it's a grief drama in the way that Marvel would make a grief drama, which I'm fine with. I think, you know, I would not go into this show being like, why isn't it like Manchester by the sea? Like, I don't, I'm not expecting it to go that hard. 
Um, but at the same time, I do feel I'm with you guys. I feel like the show didn't know how to quite reconcile the ambiguity in Wanda's character. And it does, and it, and it doesn't speak to an ambiguity as much as an ambivalence, which bothers me because it feels like they, they, even they did not settle on is Wanda, you know, you know, how do we get this emotional catharsis while also holding her accountable? Mm -hmm. And they, I don't think they ever really reconciled it. And the, and the, the thing that really strikes a bad note is when Monica's like, these people will never know what you gave up for them. And it's like, she tortured them for months. (laughs) This is not what you need to say right here. Again, the mom from that 70s show (laughs) begged for death. Yes. (laughs) It's, that also doesn't make any sense because like what you gave up for them, you gave up your fake reality in which you were selfishly the only person that was happy while everyone else was under mind control. Well, I mean, there's a part, I think there, there, there is the implication that, you know, like I think, I think this is supposed to be the, the idea we're supposed to be taking away from uh, that one sequence in episode eight, where she drives through the town and everyone looks sad and bummed out is like the idea that she's creating a better reality for them. Um, Of course, that's undermined entirely by the fact that as soon as they're freed from it, they they immediately say like they, they immediately make clear what kind of torture they've been through. Um, what, what's really interesting to me about Wanda's arc in this episode and the series in general is I feel I, I wish there was some way to do this, but like I know a fair number of people um, were faked out by the multiple post credit sequences, um, and, you know. And as a result, like, you know, multiple people, including one, at least one Collider staff member, totally didn't watch the, fin- it totally didn't watch the last of, fin- last of post-credit scene. And I would be, I wish there was some way to properly pull people on how they feel about Wanda's arc with or without that credit scene. Because, you know, theoretically, you can look at the show as a whole and be like, oh yeah, she's kind of, she's, she's trick, she's flying away, she's moving on from her grief, et cetera. But that post-credit sequence totally, you know, undercuts that. Yeah, that post-credit scene, you kind of like it, to me, that post-credit scene is necessary because it pushes Wanda back towards a more ambiguous sort of element where, you know, she's getting deep into the dark hold, expanding her power, and now something is luring her out. And I do think, you know, that ambiguity, you could argue that ambiguity, uh, ambiguity works if we're going into Doctor Strange 2. And I honestly still don't know if, she, if Wanda would be friend or foe. Like yeah. that, that to me is still an open question. Whereas if you just end the show with Wanda flying off, having come to terms with her grief, then it's like, okay, then she's probably a good, a good person in, in Doctor Strange too. Now that we're audio only, I, feel, I don't feel so bad Googling Doctor Strange too and trying to see if they've hinted at any other characters who will be in it. Because- uh, Baron Mordo is in it. And so, okay. you know, but I, and um uh, Rachel McAdams is back, hopefully this time with a character. Uh, we, cannot, we cannot do poorly by Rachel McAdams as Doctor Strange did. You have again. to, if again, exactly. You, Rachel McAdams is a treasure, and you have to give her lines where she is, and you know she feels conflicted about someone dying. <laughs> God Almighty! Yeah, I feel like I feel like it's an interesting question. Like I, my my personal bet would be at this point that. Uh, Wanda's like the 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 initial villain, and then by the end of the by the end of the film, I was about to say episode because uh, what is the Marvel Cinematic Universe if not a twenty three episode television show? Exactly, um, or twenty uh, twenty five, I guess at, at, by that point, who knows? 
uh, point is, is that uh, by the time you know, she'll be like the initial initial villain. There'll be another big uh, floating in midair fight, 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 and then uh, everything will refocus back on. Sh- uh, is it Chu? How do you say his name? Chuatel. Chuatel Edgar Four. Okay, I, that's the way I, I tend to say it, but I'm always worried that I'm about to call him Chipotle, and I know that's wrong. Um, so yeah, I think that I don't know. That's my bet. Uh, I would, you know, I mean, I think that's a fair bet. My personal preference is what if Wanda is the big bad of the next Marvel phase? Someone who can fun. just mess with all of reality. I think that would be pretty cool, but you know, who knows? Well, well my brother, my brother's, a, sorry. Uh, uh, no, no, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say my brother's a really big uh, video game person. And so a lot of times we'll watch the Marvel movies together uh, in the before times, especially. And we would come out of them and he'd be talking about like whether or not a, a hero was too, a hero or a villain was too overpowered. And he's thinking in those terms of like, you know, you know, Captain Marvel is just so overpowered. It's just so powerful that she, you know, they have to do, throw these things into the plot to keep it, for, keep her from just like eliminating the problem with one punch or something. And, uh, and of course in this, and he's also brought up uh, Wanda just because yeah, she's really powerful. Um, I forget the exact details of why she just doesn't take out Thanos in the end game final battle, aside from the part where they couldn't just have that happen. Uh, but yeah, like I, I, I like the idea of Wanda becoming the big bad if only because they've done a pretty good job of establishing just how much of a badass she is. I mean, my understanding of, I mean, just to recap what happens with Wanda in Endgame, she's, bas- she's basically about to start to rip Thanos apart. Like she's ripping off his armor and right. slowly starting to kill him and he goes rain fire. And so all the guns get turned on the ground and that sort of blasts them apart. And then Captain Marvel comes in and starts doing her thing. So, um, but also I guess the argument is, is that Wanda doesn't even know how powerful she is. And part of WandaVision's arc is show is her learning about that. That basically right. up to this point, she's like, I can do telepathy and telekinesis. I didn't know, I, I was, even I was unaware that I could rewrite reality. She is Harry Potter and Agatha is Dumbledore. <laughs> just play in all kinds of terrible twisted games <laughs> oh my god yeah adam if it, it, that it, i bet if you wrote 800 words on on that on that analogy uh we would get, <laughs> we would get eight million uh hits i could probably do that i mean thinking about the parallels there's a lot i mean there's that tragic line and and that feeling of not belonging and stuff um and also there's that time that harry tortured you know an entire town of people for weeks yes on for sure well, Harry sucks is the moral of the Harry Potter <laughs> story. And you know, Hermione is the smart, wise one. And without Hermione, Harry would have died like 17 times. No, so. I mean, there's like that great, there's a great viral a Tumblr post that rewrites all the Harry Potter book titles as Hermione Granger basically saves everyone's ass. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. But yeah, I think, I mean, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, their best villains have always been the ones with whom you can em- empathize and the ones that have a personal connection to the story. So, uh, you know, like Loki is a super memorable, effective villain. You kind of care about him and you were interested in seeing him not die. Um, whereas, you know, like Malekith or God, what Dorn, Kaecilius. what is Kaecilius and <laughs> Kaecilius was, was uh, Mads, right? Yes. Yeah, Mads and Doctor Strange. You just like, you don't care. I mean, it, you know, Taika could get away with it in Thor Ragnarok. There was- And there is there's still a, a personal connection there, but he can get away with it in Thor Ragnarok because it's all just like Kate Blanchett having a blast. 
Yeah, um, I was going to say the, the Hela is a really interesting example because technically it's it's everything that works with Loki, a uh, great actor, family connection to you know to the storyline, and all that. But yeah, it, Hela does not work as well as other elements of the film. Yeah, yeah, and so. You know, I think that would be fitting and I think that would be an interesting antagonist for Doctor Strange if, you know, because Kevin Feige has said all along that WandaVision is one big buildup for Doctor Strange in the, in the multiverse of madness. And once we got to the end of WandaVision, you know, Doctor Strange didn't show up. The multiverse didn't rip open. Mutants weren't mm-hmm. introduced. So what is the what is then the most logical connection to Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness? It's it's Doctor Strange, the magic police, getting mad that Wanda is messing with some dark magics that she's not supposed to be doing. And I think yeah. that's, I think that's a really interesting setup. Now we've talked about we've talked about uh, you know the lack of a big main cameo in the finale. We've talked mm-hmm. about the COVID production issues. Do we think that the COVID production issues kept Benny Cumbers from popping in for a cameo? You know, I thought about that because as the as the second tag started rolling, because Marvel's history used to be that whoever the person who directed the tag of the next movie was actually the director of the next movie because they were shooting right. it while they were filming. Doctor Strange has been filming since. Well, so they were supposed to start last fall and they kept getting paused because London went under lockdown. So I don't know how recently Doctor Strange actually started shooting because I was wondering if Raimi shot that tag. Um, cause the camera moved in a way that felt a little Raimi esque as it was gliding through that, uh, that cabin I felt. Um, so if that's the case, if Raimi shot it, then they could have had Benny Cumberbatch in there and, and chose not to, but you're right. It's, it's entirely possible that, you know, plans were waylaid because of, um, COVID. I think, uh, director Matt Shackman, like just today, I think gave some quotes on some other storylines that were supposed to maybe be elaborated in the finale. Ooh, I should um, look at that. Like, you know, Darcy isn't there. She's in a truck, which was CGI. So, you know, there's a reason that they just kind of like shrug off like, oh, she doesn't do debriefs. Uh, it was, you know, she couldn't fly to Atlanta in the middle of a pandemic. So Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. And, you know, good for her for not doing it. Yeah. Um, I know no one should risk their life for a Marvel film um, to either seeing or making it. Uh, so one thing I wanted to mention, unless, uh, unless Matt, you have talking points we need to get to. I have no specific talking points. There are other elements that I want to get to about things that didn't quite like that kind of hold Wanda Vision back from greatness for me. But okay. you know, we can we can uh, we can get to those in due course. What what did you want to move on to? Oh, I wanted to I wanted to say that one of the like you know going into any finale, I think like a lot of people, I have kind of like my mental checklist of things I'm very curious about them address. Uh, curious if they'll if they'll address in some way or another. Like for example, you know, I was very curious going in if we were going they were going to find a way to give us one more TV theme song. I was also very curious as to whether or not we were going to get a explicit explanation as to what the commercials were doing in the context of WandaVision. Because, uh, you know, I was, and I was fully expecting a actually a, a detailed explanation as to what the commercials were doing and uh, it, it doing in the context of the show. Cause especially cause there were a couple of them that were not clear, not extraordinarily clear in terms of their significance to the story. And the question of like, is it Agatha, is Agatha manipulating the commercials? Is it Wanda just expressing her inner self? That sort of thing. Um, and I am actually kind of pleased they didn't. I'm glad that there's just this like one random element of the show that just was there 
it was a big part of the show. Like there was no forgetting that those commercials were happening when it, in the context of those early episodes, especially. And they just never explained it. They're like, yeah, that, that happened. Uh, it was a TV show and there were commercials. Deal with it, suckas. I liked that as well. <laughs> I liked that it was just kind of her subconscious. And that's why we got the Hydra stuff in there. Just yeah. kind of her subconscious filling in the gaps. Yeah. I will say something else I liked, and I know it's been more of a point of contention, especially in the season finale, was the whole, you know, are mutants real? Are they in this reality now? What's happening with, you know, Pietro? Mm-hmm. And I wrote a whole editorial being like, oh, so this is how we get mutants. Because, you know, if you can break open reality and we know there's a multiverse, well, then you can just filter these characters in as you choose. And instead, you know, I overthought it. I was thinking like, you know, I think that's a trap that we kind You're of fall into. thinking like a fucking nerd, Matt. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> the the sort of, you know, thinking like a, a studio executive. It's like, oh, how are we going to tie this all franchises, to, you know, all these franchises together? And I I personally really like that it's just a joke at the end. It's the it's the essential, it's essentially Marvel, Marvel Studios version of the no prize, which is sort of, uh, in comics, for Marvel Comics, when you noticed a continuity mistake or you you made some sort of uh, connection, you'd tell Marvel and you'd write to Marvel and they'd send you back uh, an empty envelope saying you won the no prize. <laughs> and oh my so God, that's so good. Yeah. And so to me, like this was the like, and we've sort of seen this before. It reminded me kind of of the Mandarin twist in Iron Man 3, where it's like, oh no, it has to be the Mandarin. It's this famous character from the comics. And it's like, no, what if it's just an actor? (laughs) It's just, and this acknowledgement that sometimes these things don't pay out, I think are really funny, but also I'm not as invested in having all my theories pay off as other people. So for me, the reveal that, uh, fake Pietro is a guy whose last name is Boner (laughs) is just, that's a chef's kiss moment for me. And I now kind of understand because Liz, when you spoke to, I think it was your interview with Jack Schaffer um, or Schaefer, the showrunner, um, where she basically said that like, that was a little bit of a fight. Like they had to convince Kevin Feige to allow them to include Evan Peters. And now I understand because they were like, let's do it as a joke. I don't think that was me. Okay. Uh, I think I think uh, Feige basically said, "Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm talking to my. I, I maybe I may be talking to Jack Schaefer this week. Uh, we're we're still, I think, waiting to confirm that, but that'll be fun. Um, but I have but I have so many questions for her like that. For example, what up with the commercials, yo? <laughs> uh, yeah. And and then she'll tell me no, she can't actually talk about it. Uh, you know, these things happen. Anyways, uh. So Matt, what, what's another thing I was holding that, that, that you feel is holding the show back on greatness? I feel very mixed about the use of sword. Um, on the one hand, I feel like sword gets you to me, all the sword stuff is basically Monica Rambo's uh, origin story. Mm-hmm. And on the one, and on that, if you look at it from that perspective, I think it's all right. I actually think it's actually kind of great that like WandaVision was able to provide this origin story for Monica Rambo, who will now be in Captain Marvel 2. And this is, I believe, and people will certainly yell at me if I'm wrong, I believe this is the first Black woman in the MCU to have superpowers. Now, I know that there's Shuri, and, but like to me, Shuri is like a regular person who's just really smart in the same way that like Tony Stark does not have superpowers. He's just really smart. But like Monica Rambo has full-on superpowers now. 
Like she can do supernatural things. Um, and I think that's really cool. And I'm glad that they introduced it. And I'm glad that they tied her grief in with that. But when you drill into sort of the machinations of sword, I think Hayward's a weak character. I think his motivations are silly. I was I, I was kind of upset that they're like, oh, so they just let this shadowy organization take Vision's body. The Avengers like let that happen. That's not cool. That's not a nice thing to do to your comrade. Um, and, Another great editorial you wrote, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but, you know, and then I get, and I think his plan at the end, you know, I'm glad that it did pay off with the ship of Theseus thing. I thought that was brilliant. And I thought that was brilliant because it was true to Vision's character. But ultimately I do- also, Sorry, also on that point, I mean, credit where credit's due, Joss Whedon, garbage human being, but Avengers Age of Ultron does end with a philosophical conversation between Vision and Ultron, just about like, is humanity worth saving? And I liked how like, we hadn't really seen anything like that since Age of Ultron uh, in terms of like Vision. Right, well, and I would say it's consistent though with like Vision, uh, you know, even in episode eight where it's like, what is grief if not love persevering like he's sort of inquisitive you know he's yeah. he tries to make a rhetorical argument and understand these things he he's a great melding of sort of logic and uh humanity that i think paul bettany pulls off beautifully well i think um, it's, it's an old star it's the old star trek trick of the best person to talk to us about humanity is someone who's technically not human yes exactly and so i feel like you know the ship of theseus payoff was was really good but I'm also receptive to the argument, like if you if Vision has now transplanted his memories into White Vision, and White Vision is just off in the world, have we really lost Vision, or did we just lose Second Vision? And I would argue that like the the show gets the emotional payoff that it's getting to, which is that when we see White Vision again, and we will because he flew off, when yeah. we see him again, it will not be the same kind of relationship that Wanda had with Second Vision. Right. You know, the vision that she essentially created. It won't be the same. It won't be like, oh, you're back. Everything is fixed. It's going to be different. So I don't feel like a status quo was restored there. But I also feel like the sword storyline, while necessary, because I think at some point you do have to step back and be like, let me explain everything. You know, we have to have, you know, people outside of this to explain what is happening. And I did find it amusing that WandaVision starts and people are like, I'm not getting answers fast enough. And then WandaVision happens and they're like, sort explains too much. It should have been just been sitcoms. <laughs> yeah. So, I, but I, I feel like the sword plot line was a little clunky. I, I will say to that point, like by the metric of writing, writing these recaps every week and finding myself each time being like, Oh, that's right. And there were five, there was five to ten minutes of scenes involving sword that I have not mentioned once so far, mm -hmm. uh, and having to go back and like re add in or basically include. Oh, by the way, yeah, also sword was doing all this crap the whole time, but who cares? Yeah, Hayward, I think, just basically never really worked as uh, the level of villain he was supposed to be, mm -hmm. and you can tell that by the way he was just very quickly dispatched. Uh, but that's fine. Uh, honestly, like, you know, I think the sword stuff, like, like you said, essentially was there for various reasons. If you removed it entirely, the show would not work because it would need something like that to kind of balance everything out, provide the external uh, conflict that you need there. At the same time, like it, it felt inessential. It felt inessential in the moment, just because as you were watching, just because it's like, yeah, the, the real conflict here is, is Wanda going to 
figure cope with her grief to the degree where she can unlock this town um and also defeat defeat agnes agnes slash agatha uh the other thing i was going to say though is that the one you know it the fact that we're still talking about wanda and vision as a couple like i never had i'm a i'm i'm very susceptible to shipping couples uh, of any type uh, in, in my pop culture. I have a long history of doing so. And yet I never really got invested in Wanda and Vision's love story until the show. Yeah, same and, here. I rolled my eyes at it in, uh, what was it? Infinity War. War. It would be no. Infinity War. Oh, Infinity War. It, it, yeah, 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 Infinity War. I mean, somebody, I think somebody has done a supercut of all of the Wanda and Vision scenes before, uh, before, before WandaVision, and it's a 10 minute long video. <laughs> and, you know, which is less than half the ep uh, one episode. So, of course, we're more invested now than we were before because it was actually treated as the center of the story as opposed to a thing that's been randomly happening in the background. Although I think it, I don't know, to me, that was a failure of infinity wars because i i bought into um the hulk black widow stuff in age of ultron and that was just you know a handful of scenes in that movie but i thought they were well written and, and well executed so that's fair yeah I I, also, I, oh go ahead liz i was gonna say i also like black widow and uh and uh, black widow and bruce and uh yeah and then you get to uh is it infinity war and they're like yeah no never mind about all that that was well, just joss being joss the fans don't like it <laughs> Yeah. Endgame is the one, Endgame I feel like is the more egregious example because, you know, you have that reunion at the beginning and it, nothing, it's never touched on. Yeah. And then uh, you have that reunion, it's never even touched on. And then, you know, spoilers for Endgame, she fucking dies. Yeah. And uh, as a result, uh, sorry about the cursing, by the way. Um, don't, but, don't apologize. Okay. But she dies, she dies and uh, we, we do. I think honestly, we get to see Hawkeye have more of a reaction. And Frank yeah, you get like one reaction shot from Ruffalo, and they're like, "That's good." <laughs> he, got he threw he threw a bench. <laughs> yes, yeah. be mad. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the bench is something. I don't know what so when, that. What did that bench ever do to anyone? It was just <laughs> there. Actually, the, the the bench is the villain of Phase Four. You don't know it, <laughs> but the bench is the main villain. Yeah, the the bench comes back for revenge. <laughs> So in that regard, honestly, and I agree, I think the sword stuff fell a little flat, although I really liked the Monica episode, but I think that was really the, the most you got for, I mean, that was the the bulk of Monica's um, arc in the show, right. I thought. Um, you know, obviously she got powers, but we didn't really get to see her reckoning, reckoning with it very much. I assume that'll be a big plot point of Captain Marvel 2. Um, but the, the brilliance of WandaVision, and I think the... Um, what it adds that the MCU was lacking before was the ability to take nine episodes to delve into a relationship between two characters versus nine episodes of, you know, smashy, smashy, which maybe what Falcon and the Winter Soldier is. Maybe it's not. Um, I'm very curious to see if all these Marvel Studios shows are um, similar to WandaVision and that it's like, you know what, we're going to take six hours and really drill down on a couple characters without having to satisfy, you know, an action set piece every 25 minutes um, or, you know, adding all these nods to future things that are coming down the pike. Um, so that, you know, in that regard, I felt like it, WandaVision was a success because it just felt unique. It, it felt like they were using the television format in a unique way that they had not uh, been able to, it was additive to the MCU versus like, 
oh, it's just more of MCU stuff. You know, it's really interesting because I now I'm like now thinking back over the season and, and just how few episodes were constructed around an action sequence. Yeah. Like, and which is again to the show's credit, like it's a different kind of storytelling for Marvel to try. And you know, like the, the big action sequence in episode two is the magic show. Yeah. yeah. Which is r- wonderful. And in episode one, it's cooking dinner. Like yeah. that's the set piece. And it's and great. It, cooking dinner and then the choking scene and that's yeah. the choking scene isn't even really an action sequence it's a horror movie mm-hmm. yeah i um you know it's funny i you're you know you mentioned sort of you know how this how wandavision is able to sort of drill down in these characters and i think a hallmark of the mcu has become we can always go back into our older films take things that didn't work as well and give them another chance in the same way that like Endgame has redeeming values for Thor the Dark World. You know, I, or, I wrote before Endgame came out, I wrote like the Marvel movies you need to see before Endgame. And then once I saw it, I was like, well, I guess I'm adding Thor the Dark World to this list. Yes. I never thought and, I'd be doing that. And so you have to like, there, you know, that gets, and, and so when you come up to something like, and we'll obviously talk about um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier more in depth in the weeks ahead. Um, but, you know, we know that. Emily Van Camp, who plays Sharon Carter, is a part of that cast. Uh, that has not been a particularly strong character in uh, Falcon or in Captain America: The Winter Soldier or Civil War. Will oh, that man. character now get to be better if you get to spend more time with her? That's a question. You know, I, can I? Have you guys ever watched Revenge? I have not watched Revenge. No. I know of Revenge. Oh mm-hmm. my God, you guys. So I, I recently re-watch, started rewatching it because uh, I watched it when it originally aired. It was delightful. Uh, it was delightful, soapy fun. But you have to understand. Uh, so her character in Revenge, it's Revenge is it's on it's streaming on Hulu right now. It was an and she plays movie. Sally Revenge, right? She <laughs> kind of does. Okay. She, play, she plays this young woman. It's a, a Count of Monte Cristo pastiche. Um, but she plays this young woman who basically her father was wrongfully wrongfully convicted of a crime he didn't commit uh, and uh, by a bunch of rich Hamptons people. And uh, like 10, 15 years later, she is returned to avenge her father. So she's lit, like, you know, so it's what, what it says on the tin, it's revenge. But I swear to God, she literally, like literally at one point in the first season, uh, this Japanese businessman shows up and it turns out that she knows him already because years ago she went to Japan to train with him in the art of revenge. She is revenge Batman. Um, it is amazing. And uh, so this is your way of saying Emily Van Camp. Good, actually. Good. Emily Van Camp. Good. Actually, I think like she, you know, like she's sh- shockingly. A, a female character uh, in a Marvel movie wasn't given a lot to do and kind of <laughs> sidelined. I know, I know, we're all kind of grappling with that surprise, uh, but I, je- but based based solely on my viewing of Revenge, which was a, sh- a really fun show for its first season and should never have been more than one or two seasons, frankly. They and everyone knows this, including the creator of the show, which is why he left at a certain point. Point is, is that Revenge in its early episodes was really fun. And you can see like why you can see like why it makes sense to cast Emily Van Camp as a super spy with secret revenge powers. 
I hope that she gets to use them in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> I am all for it. She, yeah. she, she, she gets a hoodie and a leather jacket and this tr- character poster. Like, let's go, guys. All right. Well, you know, with that, I, I would say, unless you guys have more to say about WandaVision, um, do we want to maybe talk a little bit about the upcoming Marvel shows now? Um, now that sure. we've seen the first MCU show, because I, I'm of the opinion, and I know some folks will disagree with me, that this is sort of a restart for Marvel TV. I mean, we've we've talked about this on a previous episode. Like, what do you do with the Netflix series? What do you do with the, the Hulu series? What do you do with Inhumans other than throw it in the trash? Um, and But for me, I feel like this is a fresh start and it's much easier to sort of follow, you know, these Marvel shows um, than it was to keep up with like 13 episodes of Luke Cage. Yeah, I mean... It, it episode length aside like there is this interesting element to the way they're staggering things out like one of the biggest issues that agents of shield had when it came to being integrated into the mcu was that it was running weekly on a a, for nine months a year essentially with reruns yeah and as a result like you know it had to it 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 wasn't just like trying to cal it was calibrating the kind of crossovers they were doing like means meant that they had to literally like for the for the episode that technically crossed over with uh, with Thor: The Dark World, they literally had it's like it's like literally it had that episode had to come out that week that the movie premiered, and even then, people not a lot of, not necessarily everyone went and saw the movie that weekend. So it's a fascinating it's it, like the fact that the shows are coming out kind of separate from the movie, like they're not overlap the movies, they're not overlapping to the same degree, and like. Even if Black Widow, come, Black Widow and Loki both managed to come out in the same month, which is what it's currently scheduled to happen. No, uh, Black Widow actually is May, and then Loki is June. Never mind. Uh, but they're still close enough together that they shouldn't. They're still close enough together that there could be some overlap, but it won't be as much of an issue. I'm just kind of rambling at this point. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> no, I feel like you know we're. It's interesting to sort of see the different shows because I think it's important to note the order got completely scrambled uh, right. because of That's COVID. True. Uh, we were supposed to get the first MCU show was supposed to be the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which was supposed to premiere last August. Right. And then that got moved. WandaVision was originally set for early 2021. And then it got moved up to November because they were like, oh, this is so ahead of schedule. And then it got pushed back to January and became the first MCU show. And now we're finally going to get Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then we get Loki. And it's sort of interesting to sort of see how they've been sort of jumbled up. Meanwhile, the movies are in this weird holding pattern where they won't even market Black Widow right now. They're just not confident even selling it because they don't know if it's going to hold to that May release date. And that key, and keep in mind, technically on the schedule, we have Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Seven Rings or the Ten Rings in, on schedule for July and then Eternals in November. So there's still a lot of movies to juggle as well. And Spider-Man. In December. Yeah, and Spider-Man in December. <laughs> well, I think what's exciting for me about these Marvel shows is that the, you know, these were these are the brainchild of Kevin Feige. These were developed alongside Marvel Studios' plan for the next four or five years in terms of what they're doing in the films. So there is an interconnectivity, but I think more to the point, as we saw with WandaVision, these are bridges. So unlike Agents of Shield or Daredevil or Punisher, which felt like sh- spin-offs and shoot-offs. Um, which were in truth produced by an entirely separate wing of Marvel that had nothing to do with the movies. Um, 
these are little bridges. So, you know, WandaVision is a bridge to Doctor Strange, but it's also offering so much more character development to these two characters that will continue on in the MCU and introducing new characters like Monica Rambeau, um, who will have a, a, you know, a larger role. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I expect will be another bridge. You know, we have a chance to now get to know two characters who have been side characters in the MCU who are now front and center. And whatever happens with them will continue on in the films. But, you know, whenever, you know, when Scarlet Witch comes back into the fold and not, a, not even just Doctor Strange, but if, if she comes back in like another Avengers movie or something, we're bringing the baggage that we have from WandaVision with us. So we spent six hours with her. We spent, you know, a lot of time getting to empathize with her and knowing where she's coming from. And I think all of that is just gravy for Marvel because that's just adding more. It's less work that they have to do in the individual films in terms of getting you to empathize with certain characters. Um, and my hope is that they can spend more time tackling really ambitious themes, like in Black Panther, like, you know, what does it mean to be African-American versus African? This is really difficult story wrapped up in a Marvel movie. Um, and so, I don't know, it, it's stuff like that. And Loki, I think, is just a really fun idea, like getting to go back and take this older version of the character and see if he could progress. Can he grow? And also you've got, you know, it, it seems like it's going to be very Rick and Morty-esque in terms of jumping into different universes and timelines and stuff like that, which I think is just, just super fun. And um, shockingly enough, written by a Rick and Morty writer. So Yes. Yeah. They have, uh, ever since Dan Harmon worked on Doctor Strange, they have clearly been kind of uh, just pillaging that writer's room for people to come and work on their shows. Well, he's yeah. like, I'm going to need you to shove these gems up your butt. You just <laughs> well, shove them I way up there. <laughs> That's pretty good, Rick. Um, <laughs> I was going to, yeah, like, it's actually, I think, more, the connection is more Chris McKenna, uh, who was yeah. a, a principal architect of major community episodes and arguably is one of the best writer to work on that show beyond uh, beyond Dan Harmon. And, uh, yes, and he was a big big part of Ant-Man and has become kind of a go-to guy for them. Uh, what was The Spider-Man movies, I think, is what he's working on. Yeah, this, but yeah, he was really important. I think he was a big part of, uh, yeah, all three of them. Uh, but what I was, what was going to add was, uh, or I was going to ask is, have they said anything explicit about where, like, it, it, about how Falcon and Winter Soldier lead into anything upcoming in Marvel Phase Four? They have not. No, uh. -uh. So that's that's where there's, I think, opportunity. Um, well, we don't have a we don't have a new Captain Marvel, a Captain America movie on the books at all, which you yeah. know was, makes sense because theoretically they wouldn't i don't know if i don't know if they do a captain Amar a captain america movie without chris evans like but i don't know i don't know what that looks like i will say it's interesting that in the original marvel plan falcon and the winter soldier was supposed to follow black widow and now it precedes black widow and that i think yeah that, i think it's interesting that you know in terms of like the the marvel spy thrillers how those two could be connected in terms of the fact that they they share a genre but also we've got a, a Marvel show starring Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke on the books. I mean, that's, that's just, yeah, that's fantastic. And, and I'm, and I'm genuinely excited for Marvel's what if I think yeah. that, you know, as an animated show that doesn't have to worry about, um, you know, how it affects the larger canon. I think that could be just a really fun show to watch. And I mean that, and that comes from the comics as well. What if is a comics idea. Yeah. It's how it, it, it's not officially how we got a, uh, uh, Peter Porker, but you know, it's, it's in the same spirit of the thing. Well, and Secret Invasion, I think, gives us a little insight into how they're planning forward because, 
you know, after the first Avengers was a success, they had this retreat and that's where they came up with the idea of doing the Infinity War saga. So that's what they were building towards. That was this big event film that they were going to start making stepping stones towards um, and kind of conclude everything in that. Secret Invasion, you know, without Disney Plus may have been the next big, you know, feature film event thing. And now they're choosing to do it on Disney Plus. And I think that's not... It, clearly that's not a sign of like, oh, it's not as important now, but like, oh, what if we could tell this story over six hours versus two? Right. No, it gives them more flexibility. And I think in a weird way, it makes the movies, it keeps the movies feeling special as their own kind yeah. of event rather than, oh, I'm so oversaturated with Marvel stuff. Yeah. Well, and so that's the thing. And I've been going back and watching all the um, Marvel movies from the beginning very slowly. We're just uh, about to come up on the first Avengers film. Um but the thing I really like about the Marvel films, despite not having been like a super, uh, super into comic books as a kid or anything, is that they all feel distinct. They feel like, or they, for the most part, feel different. They're, it's not feeling like, I could not tell you the difference between Transformers 2 and Transformers 5. I don't know. I don't know how they're different. Um, you put one of them on and it's all the same to me. Um, but these Marvel movies, I think they, they've taken great stride in building out not only into like genres but <laughs> different themes and and different things they can explore and different worlds and uh, different kinds of films and that seems to be what they're doing on on the small screen as well and that that to me is exciting because when you say like oh it's a marvel show it doesn't mean it's smashy smashy people in superhero suits always you know it could be you know i think guardians of the galaxy is as far away from uh, you know the first iron man as possible but they are both quote unquote Marvel movies and they're both super fun and exciting. Well, it speaks to the, it speaks to the, the, the thing they've done, which pretty well, which is allow directors to put at least something resembling their personal stamp on a project, even if yeah. they're not allowed to direct their own action sequences. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think, you know, it's funny that the reason the action sequences are so repetitive, like basically mm -hmm. at this point, when you go to a Marvel film, you basically need to go in, more in line with, you know, how is the story going to be different? Because when it comes time for the set piece, it's either going to be, you know, kind of a mirror match where the hero fights a villain who has a similar set of powers, or it's going to be something big falling out of the sky. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's honestly why I come back to Thor the Dark. Uh, one of the reasons I will defend Thor the Dark World to my dying day is that it is like that third act is one of the better Marvel third acts. And it's it is, because of that, it, it is. It, and because of that, because of that, you know, uh, because of all those portals, they're thinking of portals, man. <laughs> because of Kat Denning saying meow, meow. Yeah, meow, meow. <laughs> that, that also. Yes. Uh, God. Let's speak of, speaking of things that WandaVision did really well, bringing back both Jimmy Woo and, uh, and Darcy, like chef's kiss, yeah. another chef's kiss choice. Like Agreed. that was, that's exactly the sort of sh stuff we tune in for here. And it really worked well. Yeah, I, I think really on the whole, WandaVision did a whole lot more right than it did wrong. Um, I think there were some missteps along the way, um, you know, the occasional false note, but I think overall it was a success and I, I, I immensely enjoyed watching it. Yeah, yeah. same here. I, it, it makes me excited for the rest of what Marvel's doing on the small screen. And I, I think in a bit of a fortuitous way, I'm kind of happy that it went before Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm curious to see how Falcon and the Winter Soldier is different. Yeah. Uh, right. Oh, go ahead, Liz. I, uh, no, I, that's about what I got. Okay. Well, with that, let's let's move into recently watched. 
Um, Liz, what have you seen lately that you want to talk about? Oh, go, Adam, go first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Adam, what have you seen lately that you want to talk about? So uh, listeners of the podcast know that I am uh, my favorite genre of film uh, maybe ever is the legal thriller, uh, specifically legal thrillers made in the 90s. And I filled in a blind spot this weekend by watching Presumed Innocent on HBO Max, which I had never seen before. Um, and I don't know how I'd never seen it. I mean, the the, the uh, filmmaking team is incredible. It's directed by Alan J. Pakula, uh, produced by Sidney Pollack. Uh, music by John Williams, cinematography by Gordon Willis, and it stars Harrison Ford, Brian Dennehy, Raul Julia, and Bonnie Bedelia. And it's fantastic. Uh, and I say this as someone who, you know, I like the Pelican Brief. I don't think it's one of the best legal thrillers ever made, but it does it it does the, you know, the thing that I enjoy about legal thrillers, which is kind of wrapping you up in a case and some mysteries and really compelling characters. Presumed Innocent is unique in that it begins... With, so Harrison Ford is playing a prosecutor and it begins with his mistress found dead. So it doesn't begin by setting up the story and then something happens and you're trying to figure out if this person did it or not. So it puts you and the audience in the position of not knowing whether he's guilty. And it's honestly, it's one of my favorite Harrison Ford performances. Again, I can't believe I had never seen it before. Um, but, you know, he's a prosecutor, his mistress ends up dead and he you know fingered for the crime and it, it's trying to figure out if he did this and if he didn't do it then who else did it um but i don't know the direction of it is just really stellar the execution of it is really stellar because it it keeps you guessing up until the very end and it does answer the question at the very end but um the ending i found to be supremely satisfying as well so if you haven't seen it i highly suggest checking it out on hbo max it's it, as I said to people in, in Slack earlier today, it's my favorite film of the year. So. Wow. Nice. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 for, I saw it was on HBO Max. I too have never seen it. It's been in my queue for a little while, but I definitely am excited to check it out after your very strong recommendation. Yeah, same here. I mean, it. I've seen uh, almost every Harrison Ford movie and it was just one of those blind spots because the cover at Blockbuster just looks so boring. <laughs> like it just looked very it's basic. It's just a giant fucking face. Yeah. Yeah, whereas, you know, you walk by Witness and you're like, wait, Harrison Ford and Amish people? Yeah. I have to see this. Yeah. Um, so I can go now uh, because I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to mention this just because I need to get to work on it as soon as we stop, as soon as we talk, stop talking today. Um, I've been, I... Uh, last, last, uh, I guess last Monday, uh, ha you know, on March 1st, I opened up my email first thing in the morning and there was an email from HBO Max uh, saying happy Women's History Month. And, uh, you know, here are all the, here are all the exciting HBO Max titles that, you know, really celebrate women. And on that list was the 2004 film Catwoman. And I thought that was funny. And then all day I thought about how funny it is that Catwoman was on their list of, you know, movies to celebrate a Women's History Month. So I watched Catwoman that night and uh, that movie, I don't know if you guys have heard about the 2004 film Catwoman, but it's not very good. Oh, I've seen it. I, I remember yeah. the basketball scene particularly. You know, the basketball scene I did not find as egregious. That one keeps coming up when I bring up Catwoman. Anyways, my point is, is that I, I, I want to, I'm trying to write something about Catwoman right now. And also, but I'm also writing about Birds of Prey and, and more, more about Birds of Prey and just how good that movie is on a number of levels, mostly when it comes to hair. Uh, so 
that's something very silly that hopefully I will get done very quickly today so that it can post in time for International Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day to you both. Ah, and same to you. <laughs> yes. Happy uh, Catwoman Day. Happy Catwoman. Ha- happy Catwoman Day. Yeah. Let us let let Directed let us by always Pitoff. Pitoff. Yes. Let, let us always take a March eighth to celebrate uh, to celebrate the two thousand four film Catwoman. Um, you know, and I thought I'd be able to top that, and I won't. So, uh, but I I, I did. Uh, so the film that I'll talk about, even though it can't top two thousand four's Catwoman is uh, I rewatched a film I hadn't seen since it came out on VHS, uh, which was 1995's Virtuosity. I watched um, that, that's on Hulu. It's been, I think everyone's I, been rewatching. That. Everyone's rewatching. Mm-hmm. It's on Hulu and it's on, well, it was on Hulu. It's not on Hulu anymore, but it's still on oh, Amazon no. Prime. But it's on Amazon Prime. Okay. Um, so I watched it on Amazon Prime. And so for those who don't know, the film uh, involves... Uh, Denzel Washington plays the former cop um, who went to jail for murder. And now he is being used as a test subject for a virtual reality program to target a serial killer made up from the brain scans or data or whatever of 163 real serial killers. And so his name is Sid 6.7 and he's played by Russell Crowe. And it's essentially Russell Crowe playing the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, but what happens is, is that the VR program gets brought into the real world by the evil company. And so Sid is now an Android uh, who can heal himself by absorbing glass. Yes, and, that's all you need to know about this movie is that Russell Crowe eats glass in order he, to he, heal himself. Yes, he eats, he, at one point he gets shot uh, through a windshield and then takes the windshield shards, eats them and the, and the bullet holes heal. That is a thing that happens in virtuosity. Um, And so Denzel is offered a pardon if he hunts down and stops Sid 6.7. It is a very silly movie. It's directed by the same guy, by uh, what's his name? Brett Leonard, the same guy who did Lawnmower Man, has the same sort of like VR is the future. And like we have these virtual worlds, uh, but in the way that the 90s thought it would be. Um, And so it's very comical in that way. But it's also sort of very 90s obsession with media. Like, it's so interesting that a film like, or it's interesting to me, maybe not to anyone else, but that a film like Virtuosity and To Die For are working from the same premise that like TV is a corrupting force and our obsession with mass media will eventually like lead us to violence. Um, It's just, it's so like hand-wringy about it that I I just couldn't... uh, avoid the similarity there but it's still uh an entertaining uh if slightly stupid movie but i also think that denzel and and russell crowe really elevate it um from what it is uh and so yeah virtuosity if you're looking for i i personally have been finding a lot of comfort in 90s action movies i also watched johnny mnemonic this weekend (laughs) uh, which i won't talk about because it had a moment that floored me that I had, I was amazed that no one had ever spoiled it for me because it's so off the wall bonkers, but I won't spoil that here. I just will say Johnny Mnemonic is not a very good movie, but it has a scene that like raised it a full like letter grade for me because of how, how unexpected it was. Um, but yeah, I'm just finding solace in these kind of movies like last weekend or not last weekend, but the weekend before I rewatched Broken Arrow, which is a lot of fun. So that's, that's sort of what I've been up to. You're just pre-gaming for the Snyder Cut. 
I'm just pre-gaming, baby. That's that's how it works. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Um, you may have noticed that we are now on our own channel. This is a new channel. Uh, it'll only have Collider podcast episodes. So we don't like to share. Um, if you want to listen to other Collider shows, which you totally should, they are now on their own channels. But this is the devoted channel for the Collider podcast, uh, which means we'll be doing the return of Reader Hot Takes. Uh, to boost our ratings, to tell people that you like the show. So the way it works is that if you like the show, give us a po- please give us a positive review on iTunes, but also in your comment, leave your hottest movie or TV related take and we will engage with it on the show. Uh, it's a lot of fun, so please do that. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should definitely follow us on Twitter. Liz, where can we find you on Twitter? I'm on at Lizlet, that's L-I-Z-L-E-T. And Adam, where can we find you? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll be back with you next week.